Hey, everybody, welcome into episode number 85 of the Curtain Call podcast, a production of the Yes Network. He is Yes Network president of production and programming and executive producer John J. Filippelli. I'm Justin Shackle, producer Dan Bassone with us for the ride as well. Please rate, review, subscribe. You'll never miss the latest episode and happenings here on the Curtain Call podcast. And we are less than a month away from pitchers and catchers, a big demarcation of the baseball offseason just passed us that was the hall of fame announcements and uh there is going to be one extra player or one other player i guess uh, maybe in john's eyes he's extra but um one other player joining fred mcgriff this summer in cooperstown it was announced that scott Rowland received just over 75 percent of the needed votes 76.3 percent to gain entry to cooperstown there's been a lot of split opinions on whether Roland, I guess, is worthy enough or so. But, John, what do you think of Scott Roland going into the Hall of Fame and uh, the overall mood around the, the voting process that's spreading around here? Well, it's just very, obviously, it's very subjective. and But to me, the criteria, this is my own criteria. If I really have to think about it, then you don't belong um that's just that's the way i look at it now there's you know there's lots of deep dives you could take now the analytics are there that weren't there for people to study and see years ago and there's a lot of ways to look at a particular candidate and say they're hall of fame or they're not hall of fame if you want to study it i'm not one who uh, i don't have a vote doesn't really matter so you're saying you're not a deep thinker i've said that for years why why is this any different today any different from what i felt about years ago no i'm not really a deep thinker when it comes to many things particularly this i don't really put a lot of thought into it i just sort of look at it and say in my my god i go with my god my instincts say are you a hall of famer or not you mentioned a player i'll say yes or no within three seconds are you a hall of famer or not throw some names i'll give you you, just go ahead throw that throw it me all right uh craig biggio yes um rod carew yes Andy Pettit. No. Close. Uh, Don, Don Mattingly. Yes. Mm. Alex Rodriguez. Yes. Barry Bonds. Yes. So I like this. Okay, this is fun. Um, Sammy Sosa. No. Right. Close, but no, not really. All right. Enough years. Look, I I used to think the way you 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 think. Like if I if I have to think about it, no, I had a really strict uh, criteria, and um, I I thought the Hall of Fame as you know sh- should be extremely hard to get into, but um, but I enjoy the new information. So I, I enjoy things and pieces that are written that force me to think a little bit harder about it, and that information is good in my opinion. So. Um, a guy like Scott Rowland, I think uh, I think he is worthy of of the Hall of Fame. Um, There's certain things that you again, like you said, it's subjective. Um, I think he's only the, the he is the, the only the 18th third baseman that's going to be heading into Cooperstown. So it's a position that is uh, vastly underrepresented uh, fourth all time among gold glove winners at third base. He's played spectacular defense. He was a very, very good hitter offensively, was a world champion. Uh, multi-time all-star uh, with your just just with your eyeballs you could see how well he plays the third base position uh, if you want to go with some new age stats ninth in war among third basemen all time so 
there's a there, there's there's a ton of evidence that I guess you can make that support. There's I guess there, yeah, there's the argument there. There's also the argument that says uh, he you know the 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 Hall of Fame could be uh, watered down here a little bit with a pick like like Scott Rowland. It's interesting. Well, how many years has he been eligible? This was what year for him? Six, seven. This was his sixth year of eligibility, and he jumped remarkably. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, you see a lot of players jumping. I mean, for July 11, it was a good Don Sutton, guys like that. Mm-hmm. They started, they were started, I don't know, 15%, 12%, 16%, 8 whatever it was. And they got in, eventually got in. It yeah. took a long time, but they got in. So, but to me, again, if this is a process of you're just going to be on the ballot year after year after year, and eventually you make a jump, and eventually you eke in, well, that's not to me, that's not an overwhelming endorsement. However, you, you get in. The criteria says three quarters of the vote. You got a 75% of the vote. That's a lot of votes to get. That's a lot of votes to get. So the fact is that you're able to get them. That I, I, I guess by by the standard that the baseball writers have, that's the standard. You got to get three quarters of the vote. That says that's enough to you're a Hall of Famer. To me, I I don't view him as a Hall of Famer. I think he's a very good player. Don't get me wrong; he's a very good player. You know, the same way I look. I look. I look. I look. I think Todd Helen was a very good player. I think the Hall of Famers. No, I don't. I think they're both outstanding defensive players, and I think they can both hit. Obviously, you know, Helton is a little uh, skewed because of course, but but at the end of the day, really good players. But this, they have a FOIA of fame. And I told you my FOIA of fame. That's the hallway of fame. That doesn't exactly put you in the hall of fame. Puts you in the hallway of fame. There's a whole lot of players stuck in that hallway of fame. <laughs> really good, really really solid, really good players, but they're not quite. To, to me, they're not quite hall of famers. They're some, a little short, and that's why I put them in that hallway. You know, and I put Scott Brolin in the hallway. But but if there is an inner circle of the Hall of Fame that people always talk about, why can't there be a foyer of fame? They call it a foyer of fame. Call it the call, call it the closet of fame. Hey, you're in though. You're in the building. Just yeah, make sure your shoes are off. They're, why isn't there a room for those people? Uh, look, to me, it's best of the best. All right. There's twenty two thousand and change major league players, right? And 269 or whatever it is got been the Hall of Fame. That's one percent. Is Scott Rowland among the best one percent of the players who's ever played? You put him with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. No, not when you phrase it that way. But but then oh, the, how how much like over half of that one percent don't belong in the same room as the names you, you just rattled off? Bingo. All right. Bingo. So you so you would rather not have. A, a ce- an annual celebration of the sport, essentially, because that means we would go years and years without anyone being honored and enshrined into Cooperstown and an entire town. Ta- and I'm not saying this is a reason why we should have someone elected each year, but an entire town's like income and the way it spins, um, they're, they're going to be deprived of all this. I'm sorry. I don't mean to put Cooperstown in a place where they're going to face a harsh economic reality because there's no ceremony. I'm sorry. I know people work and they work hard. I get it. And you're asking me, I, I just think that to put pe- to, to put people who say, we got to have somebody in. Let's just put, all right, Scott Rowan, he's good. He's good. Not, he's not a great, not a great player. He's a really good player. Let's put a really good player in. That's, what does that do to the Hall of Fame? Doesn't it water it down? To me, it waters it down. That's just my head. It's like, if again, if I have to really study this thing, there are players in who don't belong, as far as I'm concerned. You put Don Sutton. Don Sutton's a very good player. He also was a friend of mine for a long time. I like Don Sutton. Okay? Good guy. A really good player. See Tom Seaver? Is he Juan Marichal? Is he Sandy Koufax? Is he Bob Gibson? Is he Catfish Hunter? Is he Jim Palmer? Is he who is he? Is he Don Drysdale? Is he any of those guys? No, no, he's not. But he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that doesn't that that's okay with you. I think it is. I think okay. it's a museum. 
You sell it and again. I used to I used to subscribe bingo. to this thought. Stop. There's another bingo. Now we've got two bingos. It's a museum. I tell people all the time to yell at me. I go, it's not heaven. Okay. It's not heaven if you believe in those things. It's not heaven. It's a museum. It's a museum. Okay. And that's that's the beauty of this thing. It's a museum. It means everything to the players who play, everything people who play baseball around the game to be enshrined. It's the greatest honor you can have. It's great. But at the end of the day, it's the most subjective thing there is, and it's a museum. That's it. Let's not get too insane over this thing. Exactly. Okay. But but it is it's just fun for discussion. Yes. You could have the, the debate is what makes it fun, I guess. Um okay. what what I do not like though is how a, a guy gets elected and is in the Hall of Fame now. Scott Rowland is is in the Hall of Fame. He's being elected to Cooperstown. And, and I'm just really fascinated of of like people's genuine disappointment that someone was elected to the Hall of Fame. Like they are mad that someone was elected and and was receiving one of the highest honors you can have as a baseball player. That's just weird to me. Like you're you're rooting against someone. For what? Because the system didn't play out the way you you expect it to. It's weird. Right. I mean, I, I, if you want to look at it like that, I think that you, that's a very logical way to look at it. I, that's fine. I, uh, you know, I uh, I don't know why people would be. I mean, I, am I was I upset? No, I was a little bewildered. Now that there's a bewildered is a strong word. Mm-hmm. But, wow. I mean, I could see why you would say, well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But bewilderment is like scratching your head. Like really, Scott Rowland, really. Now, no, I shouldn't say bewildered. I'm semi-bewildered. I'm not quite at bewildered. I'm, a, I'm somewhere between. Yeah. I, I'm not really. I, I know. There are a lot I, of people that are bent out of shape over this. No, I, I, look, you, how can you get bent out of shape as a museum? It's a subjective thing. What yeah. belongs, what doesn't belong. You know, I mean, you know, if you, I don't know, if you got, um, you know, I mean, if Jake Gibbs got in, no offense to Jake Gibbs, the Yankee Lanky catcher from the '60s, if he got in, there would be real bewilderment and a lot of outrage. Although he's a hell of a quarterback at Ole Miss, he was a great quarterback. And, and a good guy. But let's get past Jake Gibbs for a second. If you got in, you'd say, well, what is that about? I understand it's all that's that's total bewilderment. That's uh, that doesn't make any sense at all. This makes sense on a, on a lot of levels. He's a really good baseball player. Mm-hmm. Sometimes really good baseball players, some people look at them as great. Other people just say, oh, you know, they're really good baseball players. Is is he an A plus? No. Is he an A? No. He's an A he's an A minus to me. But as a defender, he was an A plus. Yeah. Hitter, he was somewhere a good play, good hitter, really good guy, nice numbers. But they don't overwhelm me. I don't sit there and go like, oh, my God, this is like he should have been in murderer's row. No. I mean, you know, no, he didn't. And, you know, so and how many championships did teams did he play on? He played on the 06 Cardinals. He played on the um, he played right. he played on the pennant winning Cardinals as well when they lost to the Red Sox. So he has one championship. OK, but that's OK. A lot of players get yeah. in and they don't have one. It's, it helps to play on a championship team. Mm-hmm. And there are players who have had great postseasons. And that helps carry them through like a lackluster, well, not a lackluster regular season, but a regular season that was fine. This wasn't all that great, but the postseason numbers carry them to another level. But like like Billy Wagner is was up, right? Billy Wagner is, is was on the ballot, right? Yeah. Billy Wagner is a really was a really good relief pitcher. I mean, really good. Do I consider him one of the elite greats of all time? I guess I, I, he's one of those guys where I would think about it for a split second and I would go, "Yeah, I put him in. I put him in." But but I'm just saying like so so but Billy Wagner's how many years now? He's been on base sitting there and it, but he's made a big jump. Yeah. He's I think Billy Wagner's gonna get in, but there's no postseason to help Billy. Where's the postseason for Billy Wagner? Where there isn't much at all. And if he, if he pitched it any, he didn't have great success of it. 
So, so again, you know, does that mitigate the fine regular season? Other than Mariano Rivera, you look at all time saves. Like I Trevor Hoffman, I know was in there, right? You got Hoffman and you got Wagner, but the, Wagner's right there with Hoffman, right? As far as and Hoffman's in, right? So why not put Wagner in? I mean, you could do this all day with guys who are this guy's in. Why isn't this guy in? This guy got in. Why didn't that guy got in? And again, there are guys that start off at 17, 16, 15 percent, and it takes them seven, eight years, but eventually they get in. What they weren't good the first time on the ballot, they got such a small amount of votes, or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time, or the fifth time, and all of a sudden, by the sixth time, they're oh, they're a Hall of Famer. How'd that work? You know, again, there were mitigating circumstances who's on the ballot, and I mean, I get all that stuff. I'm just saying, but it's it's kind of it's a fun discussion. But it's a discussion that's loaded with trap doors. Yeah. You're going to go in, in circles. The steroid guys are loaded. The alleged steroid. I don't really know. But let's assume that people who were linked to steroids. Let's go linked. Players who were linked to steroids. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're nowhere right now. But but eventually they'll get in. Here's a good name for you. The, Gary the, Sheffield. Gary Sheffield's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I think he is. I do too. He has two years of eligibility left. Made a big jump this year. Um, I think all those players are going to be getting. I think Sheffield's going to get in. Helton, Wagner, um, they, everyone who started off with with small percentages, they're making really big jumps. Those those players that I just listed, they had uh, voting increases by at least fifteen and a half percent this year. That's that's huge. So we had a, was, a bunch of players. No one, there was no one. There was a lot of room on that ballot. On the ballot. There weren't, there weren't like six or seven guys you to go, oh, a, I got to vote for this guy. I have to vote. He's too good a player. I have to vote for him. I have to vote for him. He's too great a player. I have to vote for him. There was That's not that. You don't look at those guys and say they were such great players that I have to vote for them. They were really good players, really good players for a long time. They And they probably deserve your vote. But there's, there's a case to be made that they're not quite that automatic. So you have to think about it. And the longer it goes on, sometimes the worse it gets, you know, for some of these guys. But very few people start off when you hit a certain number. Once you start, once you hit seventy or high sixties, who who's ever hit the high sixties had eligibility left and didn't get in? Anybody? Just a small handful. Um, I don't know the information off the top of my head, but not not too many. Not too many. It's like hard. there there aren't there aren't any players who have I think reached the point that a guy like Billy Wagner has now after the latest voting and not get in. So like if if certain players like that, like Wagner. Um, Sheffield to a less again he only has two years left but like we we've reached a point with some of these players that if they don't get in they're going to be making history they're going to be making voting history um and and set new it's new precedences if they don't get in in the years of eligibility they still have spaces there's ways to get players in definitely like Jeff Kent in four years is it's going to take like the veterans can be five minutes to be like okay cool slam dunk he's in Part of the problem with guys like Kent, he felt that he fell into a category where he was sort of anti-media. The media did not like Jeff Kent. He did not get along with the writers. Writers didn't get along with Jeff Kent. And he's not alone. There's a lot of players that sort of mm-hmm. fit that. But Barry Bonds was not a beloved by the media. You know, I mean, it, but his, his, the reason he's sitting where he's sitting is because of the, you know, the, the, the link to steroids. It's not, that's why he's sitting there. Those guys will get in. They will get in. I mean, I, I. How do you say that? Why would you let them in? Now, a lot of people would say to me, "How can you dare let those guys who are linked to that in?" And I'd say, because again, we'll go back to it's a museum. Yep. Go back to those numbers are so outstanding 
had they not done the steroids, they they still would have been great players. I don't know the the number of how you quantify how many home runs Bonds hit because allegedly linked to steroids. So uh, if he did them, how many you know how many home runs you could put to that? Or Alex, how many home runs he hit that you could attribute to you know the increase in strength or whatever that those things do for you? I have no idea how you quantify it. All I know is they were great players. They were great players, and you, you, it's not it's not about morality. It's about morality. Ty Cobb would not be in. Ty Cobb was did a lot of things against the code of character. He did, and then but he, he got it right. First bat, first guy, one of the first people they put in first class, right? So again, greatness, greatness of the player, sort of got past the, the whatever the personality and, and character flaws allegedly were there or maybe there, right? So you know, again, it's so subjective, it's so subjective, and it's why, why isn't Pete Rose in? The, well, we know why Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame. Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? I think so. I think absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't even think about it. Not for a second. I have had such fatigue over these type of debate. And they're fun. Again, they are fun, but like it's the same thing every single year. Like I've I've morphed from having like the Hall of Fame being probably at the same level as you hold it as. Like it's a tight, tight room, only the best of the best can get in to now. It's like, hey, if you were on the field, that's all I'm judging you by. I'm just judging you by your performance and all of the names that we were just talking about, the bonds is the, the roses, like they're all in for me. They're all in. If you go by again, this is such a hard discussion to have, but if you go by, I don't know what the percent, I have no idea. Let's make a number up. at the height of the, the, the steroid scenario at the height. Again, I don't know. I really don't know. You don't know. We don't know. But we're going to make this number up and players. 20 at the time, 25 on a roster. So it may have been one or two more, maybe one or two less. We have no idea. We're going with 10 just for the sake of discussion. Okay. No misunderstanding. Do my 10 cancel out your 10? Or, or vice versa? Do, do they? Depends they, on what you're talking about. They but, could, yeah. So that's the only way that you could look at this thing. And the reason this thing got so messed up, so messed up, is because of the stats. We're talking about stats. A lot of times you look at a guy and say, he's a Hall of Famer. Look at these numbers. Okay, let's look at them. Look at them in different eras. So the eras don't match up. And when you get to what's going to be considered to be the steroid era, when all is said and done, how are you going to put those numbers from that era and have them make sense against all the other eras? How is that going to happen? It can't. The game is judged by statistics. And the statistics, the emotional moorings of baseball are in its numbers. To your point, what went on on the field went on on the field. Yep. And they were, they, you could mitigate some of their accomplishments and say they did this or they did that or they did that. And maybe there's a point there for sure. But can the mitigation be strong enough to take away from what was an incredible achievement in which it would be their careers? Right. I said, no, to me. Clemens is a Hall of Famer. I don't have any doubt. I have no doubt about Clemens. I have no doubt about uh, about Alex. He's a Hall of Famer. Bonds is a Hall of Famer to me. They're, they're Hall of Famers. I wouldn't think twice about it. Some guys, Sammy Sosa, not enough of those years. He had a couple of years. He had two years, I think. He had 60-something home runs. each, 66, 68, something like that, whatever he had. Incredible. Great years. A couple of nice years, but not enough. McGuire yeah. had great years to qualify. McGuire had some great years. He had the, the, obviously, that 1998 was incredible. But having said all that stuff, not enough years. I don't judge it as he did or he didn't do something. I judge it with there's just not enough years there of dominance. 
But so let's segue to some Yankees talk here. And and I'm only bringing this up because you just mentioned his name. It got me thinking Roger Clemens. Like, th- does Roger Clemens want to th- – does broadcasting interest Roger Clemens? Do you know? I, I, I would, I've actually asked him that. I think he would be – He's what, what I've seen of him, I think he'd be great. Yeah. Not good, great. I think he'd be right up there with David Cohn. Could be. He yeah. could be. With a little, with a little uh, experience, a little training, I think he could be. Right. He's very good. Instinctually, he's very good. Yes, he's very good, but I don't think that that's what he wants to do right now. Okay. I would let him do whatever he wants for the game of baseball. Uh, I would I think too. he's that valuable. I think he is too. Yeah. But you know, um, Roger gets in Roger's own way. Mm-hmm. He does that. But I like him, I, what I know of him. And I know him a little bit. I, I know him more than, than most people do. And I would say, I mean, I like him very much. I have a lot of respect for him, what he's done, what he did. So uh, we're about three, three and a half weeks away from, from pitchers and catchers coming up with uh, spring training, World Baseball Classic right around the corner as well. Um, a lot of question marks still at varying levels for the New York Yankees, John. And I think the three biggest questions are uh, something that's like making up a third of the lineup. And that's a lot. You have question mark in left field, third base, and two, a a lesser extent, but not by much, shortstop, because you feel like that situation is going to be figured out during the course of, of spring training. Do you think the Yankees need to answer one of those big question marks before we report for spring training? No, I don't think they have. They need it would have be helpful if you say to me, "Is it ideal that they do it before spring training?" Yes, but if they don't, it's not the end of the world because obviously they have the, the spring training to see what what players come out of spring training. I know that if you have a great spring training, it is not necessarily an automatic that you will become have a great season. Or if you have a very poor spring training, it's not automatic you have a poor season. It it just isn't. It's not a harbinger of anything because spring training is just spring training. And it's 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 a it's a glorified workout, so people can get it ready for the season. And most of these guys, that's a little bit of a misnomer because most of these guys are in pretty good shape year round now. So it's not a question of listen. I I've come in, I've gained twenty pounds. I got to you know a three thousand sit ups a day to lose my stomach. It's it's nothing like that. These guys coming in, they're pretty good. They're in really good shape. To take up most of them are, and it's just a matter of stretching like pitchers out and get. Even if it, look, if a hitter gets gets you know you, you give a hitter 25, 30 at bats. It, it, under a game competition, a hitter he, along with BP and whatever, you give him a, some some at bats. That's really what it takes, and, and he's fine. Pitching, you got to stretch a guy out. Guy does comes to spring training, even if he's throwing enough in his local gym or wherever he's throwing uh, in the off season, he's doing some throwing. It's still not going to be enough. It's got to be game game situated, and you know they got to stretch a player out. So it takes a little bit of time. That that's the reason the spring training is six weeks. You got to that's why the pitchers and catchers report ahead of time because they're they come from somebody has to catch the pitchers, and the pitchers are the ones that have to get stretched out. So they need a little bit more time. So having said that. But that's really what it is. So you look for somebody, though, if somebody has a great camp, it's happened many times. A guy has a great camp and he makes a team and, you know, oh, they jump at someone's levels. They come in and they're the, they're like the third best prospect in camp and they have an unbelievable camp and the other two prospects don't. All of a sudden they're on the radar and all of a sudden they make the team. Or there's injuries, all sorts of things happen that would, would fault somebody from not being into consideration for making a team to making a team. Sometimes it's a great spring training. Sometimes it's it's just happenstance because somebody gets hurt and and, and there's really no one else to fill the job. So they've got to start with them and see where it goes. You have to there's a lot of things that have to play out. The Yankees have depth at shortstop. They have tons of depth for minor leagues. I mean, I really like I really like the Praza. I like him a lot. 
I think he's a, he's, he's going to be a star. And uh, he really opened my eyes. The little I saw of him, I really like him. And then Volpe is, is such a great prospect. The Yankees rave about Volpe. So those, if, if what I've seen about Barraza and if Volpe is what they tell me he is, then you look at that and you go like, there's two great prospects right there. Maybe one's a shortstop and then maybe one becomes a third baseman. If in fact you're able to, if the, in fact the Yankees have the proclivity to to move Donaldson and can move him, then that opens that up for them. You know, you, I know you've got, you've got, uh, you've got IKF, you know, I know you got him. And I know he's a really he's a really good defensive player, particularly at third base. So right now the Yankees have him at third, Donaldson, you know, short. I'd rather rather IKF at short, and where he's probably move IKF to third, and Donaldson does this, and he does this. But you also have to see how Lemayu plays. Lemayu is the key to all that. Lemayu is really should be playing third if, in fact, he, you know, he's healthy enough. That it depends on the toe situation. That has to be, see. That's part of what I mean. Like if Lemayu goes to camp and he's hitting that tar out of the ball, and he, and he looks really good, that the Yankees will. Be forced to make moves because you got to get LeMayu in that lineup. You need him in that lineup. I think that's one of the bigger like sub questions, like just the overall health. Like, do you, are we at the point with DJ LeMayu now? Uh, a pair of significant injuries in as many seasons. Are we at the point where you kind of need to be holding your breath with DJ LeMayu? Well, you know, you, look, you never know about these things. They you know, sometimes they become chronic, and I'm not saying that's the case here. I don't know enough about it, other than to say that there's obviously concern, and it's two years now that he's had it. I mean, the Yankee had such those two great years he had before his free agency. The Yankees got him. I mean, he was as good a player as the Yankees had. I mean, he was as good as anybody on that team. I mean, in some cases, better. He was just that good. And you know, then the two years have sort of hurt him since he signed. He's been, he's had the injuries, which is unfortunate. He's a really good player when he's healthy. He's an excellent player. So the Yankees need him to be healthy. The Yankees want to win a World Series. They need they need DJ Lemayo. When you look at those other positions, though, like left field. Um... Is there a viable in-house option for a team contending for a title? I don't think it's Cabrera. I don't think it's Cabrera. Yeah. Because, I mean, I judge an outfielder by not just uh, east-west, but north-south. North-south, you'd be able to come in, go out, or go back, come in north-south. And east-west is the ability to go laterally, right? North-south, I didn't see a lot. And again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill to maybe tell you something totally different. Although I don't think he would. I mean, the problems that he had in the postseason when they put him out there, every one of them was was north south, mostly south coming in. He had a lot of trouble picking up the ball, a lot of trouble. And because he's he's an infielder playing the outfield, it's not his fault. He say, hey, play the outfield. He's so athletic. He made a couple of plays out there. He made, he made it quasi work, but not fully. And if you're going to win, a, you're going to win a World Series. That's not your left fielder. I don't think it is. That's my personal opinion. So I agree. I have to do some digging. But again, you get spring training, and you yeah. got a lot of prospects you could trade. I think. I think people in this in these instances, people have to realize that the off season sort of bleeds into spring training in terms of acquiring something externally. Like, yeah, they may report to Tampa for spring training in their current state, but it may be different and they may have added something by the time opening day rolls around. And if that's not the case, obviously you have the trade deadline, but then like we're going, we're just going through the, this, the same cycle overall. That's just kind of the way that the, the sport works, but you have to separate the start of spring training with the start of opening day. Yes, I think you do. And I think go back a little bit to Cabrera again, Cabrera could hit yeah. that nice bat, that good legs, but he's a, you steal some bases, go for it. Athletic. You know, just to me, I don't 
you know, I just, I don't love him out there. Mm-hmm. I think it's a stopgap. And I think, but again, in a pinch, to, be on, to have somebody like that to play utility, to put in late innings, maybe, I don't know if you put him on the outfield or not, because again, the problems that showed up, that north-south problem, maybe he maybe he plays, he hits enough reps where he can clean it up, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe it's just not, it's just not built for the outfield long-term. But the fact that he's got so much athleticism, you can put him anywhere, makes him invaluable. I mean, the days, I mean, the, the Zobrist, what I used to call the Zobrist player, that guy that you could put out literally and they can play every position other than pitch or sometimes catch, you know, but those other seven positions, just throw them out wherever you put them, and they're going to be excellent no matter where you put them. That says a lot about, and again, with the, game, the rosters being what they are, you try to get the maximum amount to, for your bench out of a player who needs to be able to play multiples now. And that's really important. And, he, and, he, and again, it speaks to athleticism. Yankees need athleticism. They need multiple multiple position players. Guys who can do that really helps their bench, and uh, it gives and gives uh, you know gives uh, uh, our manager more options later in the game. Taking a look at some happenings going around the Yankees division in the AL East, um, the the Blue Jays kind of made uh, some headlines, or Vlad Guerrero did at their fan fest. Vlad Guerrero doing some trash talking, which was nice. The Red Sox had their own fan fest. Um, uh, fan fest, John, are you? Yay or nay for fan fests? Well, I mean, it's not Woodstock. I mean, what are we talking about? <laughs> fan fest. I mean, it's like let people go and have a good time and support their team, or in some cases they don't. But but most fans go to a fan fest. They support the team. They want to see their players. They want to celebrate the history and tradition of their team. They It's an excuse to get out and talk about baseball among people who are of like mind. So I don't think there's – I like fan fests. Uh, in the aggregate, I like them, but I do, I do think that sometimes these things are a little bit of a petri dish for a problem because you know you put players in this thing, you put the press, you put the players, you put around expectations. These things all meld together; they collide sometimes. Expectations collide with the uh, with uh, with uh, the players' personality, and they collide with the media expectations or media questions, which sometimes can be a little flamboyant. And they, and off you go. A spark gets set, and boom, here we go, and things get said. So it is a petri dish for problems on occasion, and I, I know that's where you're going with Toronto. I think that's where you're going with Guerrero. I, I think I'm, I'm definitely going there though with with the Red Sox because yeah. I think the current state of the Red Sox kind of combusts with the idea of a fan fest. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and la- last weekend in uh, John's favorite Massachusetts city, Springfield, uh, the yeah. the Red Sox had their winter weekend and you had the team owner, John Henry, Sam Kennedy is their CEO. You had Heim Bloom, who's their chief baseball officer. He's making all the decisions. Really. They took the stage. They were booed hard. And it felt like a lot of people were reacting with some surprise. I'm not sure why I thought that was something that you'd probably see coming a mile away, but the, General message from team owner John Henry. He, in my eyes, tried to like pull a fast one over the fan base, trying to connect ticket sales with how much his team spends for their their roster management. And I feel like if you are an educated baseball fan, you know that the two really don't mix. And in a way, that's the team owner thinking that the fan base is inferior um, mentally. And that's a place that you don't want to go. Mentally, mentally. <laughs> yeah. So why, my point is, like, why, uh, like, is this is this a front or are teams, like, so incubated 
from the fan base that they they don't hear this noise around them and they think less of them. I don't know how you can make that a universal. I mean, it was just it's a, an owner making a statement and you're reading what you're reading into the statement and it's fine. I mean, I think it's also very subjective to 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 look into anybody's words and to say, I took this away from it or you took this away from it, which is fine. I mean, maybe we maybe we took the same thing, maybe we didn't. It that's not, but that's not really the issue. It's sort of like, I mean, the issue was, I mean, in many cases, you go out and you spend a lot of money to put a good team out there because you haven't really sold tickets. And you want to try and put a team out there that people want to come see. And in the case of the Red Sox, they historically put out really good baseball teams and have through a really long time now. You know, uh, for the, certainly I would say from the, uh, the mid-60s to where we are now, the Red Sox have pretty much tried out some really good teams for the most part over the years. have won a couple of championships um, they 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 take their baseball seriously in Boston. The fans take it really seriously in Boston. They've I've been up there. We all been up there. We all been up there with the Yankees. We know how serious the Red Sox folks are about this stuff, and the uh, Yankee fans are too. But the Red Sox fans are really intense. They're really intense. So you get yeah, okay. This is how they feel about it. I get it. And you know the owner said what he said. He sort of linked the ticket sales with whatever. I don't know that that was. The, the right logic to use, the right way to go. I don't know that I would have gone that direction because to me, it's to me, it goes really about if you're not having putting a team out there that's, that people are want to see and get excited about, that it's your job to put the best team you can out there and not link it to, well, let's see, I'll, let me see what I sell so many tickets, but I have so much higher rating on, on TV, on Nesson, then I'll go and I'll spend money. No, it shouldn't, that, to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, again, there were caveats to everything, and, and uh, again, I wasn't there. I don't know what the, the caveats were said or but with the context of anything. But having heard that, no, it's it's not it's not the best defense. There were certain things he could have used that were stronger defense than that. That's not a really good defense. But he said what he said. And then you have Heim Bloom trying to put in the proper words why they uh, you know traded away Mookie Betts at that point where they were as an organization compared to where they're at now, and re-signing Rafael Devers just like a, a no-win situation and to think, you know, the idea that they could come out there and win by conveying the right message to uh, to fans that are visibly upset for all the reasons that you're talking about. They're proud what fans. Did, they show up. Who didn't even know that Bogart's left? The, that that as well. Somebody told me, oh, he left? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that that's a little bizarre too, but but listen, that those things sometimes are raging wars and Things get happen like again. I don't know the context. We don't know the context. But if the context is all things being relatively equal, the context is like I, I don't know what's going on there. But yeah. uh, but anyway, it's it's fun to discuss. It's fun for if you're on the other side, but particularly like we are, it's kind of fun to think about it. Say like okay, oh for sure, it's fun it's to point and laugh at these things until it's your your own organization, right? Of course it is. And we're being in the Yankee land. It's. It's look at the Red Sox being in the stretch. You go, oh, okay, that's not necessarily the worst thing I've heard. Yeah. It's the Red Sox and the Yankees, the rivalry, right? I mean, it's all about the rivalry. It's all fun at the end of the day. And it's you know, they're, they're in a little bit of misery, a little bit of, well, that's fine. It's, that's probably a good place, whatever. But this is the Yankee Red Sox. That's what makes the rivalry the rivalry. The historical context of this is great. And again, they revel when we when we're, have our issues. They revel in our issues. So what, what goes for one goes for another. But it's all fun. You're Definitely. Cool. Just take take away the team names and just imagine like walking out of your team's fan fest and feeling dejected, feeling worse than when you walked in. That that was the state uh, in Massachusetts last week with with the Red Sox winter warm up. Um, all right, John, before we land the plane this week, anything else that we should add? 
Uh, how do you like the Nets? We talked about the Nets. I'm I'm impressed with what we're seeing. I think yeah. this is a different group compared to last year in terms of how they respond with KD being out. Yeah. Um, it's just a litmus test. Yeah. They have to respond in a way where they were holding the fort. They got to hold the fort. And to hold the fort. I think, look, they, they lost four straight in the immediate aftermath of him going down. Um, I kind of answered that. Look, as it was going on in the moment, I'm like, all right, this obviously isn't good. You don't know which way they're going. But then when they regained some of their footing, were able to acclimate without him and figure out how to play without him. It wasn't the the logical reaction more like, well, obviously it would take a team a little bit of time to yeah. figure out its way when one of the best players who are performing at an MVP caliber right. level this season is yeah. going to be missing time. That, that's that's natural. Like they need some time to to gel and and acquiesce and and assimilate to their current situation. That's what we have now. They do have a bit of a, a tough stretch in the uh, two week period that that lies ahead. So we'll we'll see how uh, they continue to go here. But I think it's pretty encouraging. I think it's very encouraging. I mean, I think they play actually. I think they play very well. With all things considered, certainly better than they would have held up in the prior years. The bench has proven to be the bench. I mean, I think they've proven to be some pretty good players there. And, you know, they deserve more playing time if they can get it when when things, the natural order of things comes about again and Durant's back. And, you know, but he's, I mean, he's a great player and you miss him, but you just can't give up. And the oh. fact that they've certainly not done that, they've played really hard, they've won some games and they're holding the fort. I mean, this is the best, the only thing they can do is hold the fort until Durant gets back. It's done a nice job. They've done a nice job, I think. And, I'll tell you, one of the things that sticks out, aside from players stepping up on the bench or in a leadership role like Kyrie and Nick Claxton even, Jacques Vaughn's a really good coach. And I'm really happy to see him get some some of the deserved spotlight. He's a really good coach in-game. He's a really good guy, too. I mean, I don't like I, said, I don't really know him, so I shouldn't I should just jump up and say he's a really good guy. But yeah. what I know of him, the people who know him really well, and and we know people who know him really well because they're around him every day, you know, just about, and they rave about him. So I mean, that's good enough for me. Like they just they came away with a big win on the road at Golden State, and like that's a place where it's tough to win as a visitor. And they squeezed that win out. It was a good win. They came back from a double digit deficit, and then you have like Jacques Vaughn like skipping down the tunnel into like that's that's real. Like that's his effervescence kind of spreading through the rest of the team. I feel like it. The, the people around the nets that traveling party like that that that's something that they can feed off of and uh aside from everything that he does bring during in-game situations i think he's a really good coach i'm happy uh the way things uh have shaken out for for this team here in in that department because remember in the beginning it was ugly it had a potential to get even uglier and they kind of scaled back they let jock fun do his thing and uh, they're being rewarded it's nice yes that's very true. All right. Well, it's eventually for gazing. It's time to layer the plane. Uh, remember, rate, review, and subscribe. That's the best way that you can help us. Dan Bassone is a really good producer and a really good guy. We didn't mention him. Maybe we did at the top, but I, I mentioned his name. Yeah, we got him in. I wasn't paying attention. I zoned out. You you had to think about it then, like your Hall of Fame case. <laughs> it was like, oh wait, wait who's, is he is he really that good? Is he? Yeah, yeah he's good. He's all famous. Yeah, he's borderline, but but Hall of Fame is not. Just can't put anybody in there. That's right. You're making progress there. That whole thing. Well, for producer Dan Bassone, for John J. Filippelli, I'm Justin Shackle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Curtain Call Podcast. Stay tuned for our next one coming up in a couple of weeks. Until then, uh, keep keep listening 
keep going back to past episodes and and go back from the beginning make sure you're all the way caught up and again rate review subscribe to stay up to date with everything that we're doing here with the curtain call podcast about the last the last the, how many shows we've done 70 some shows how many shows we've done how many we have this is episode 85 okay, so we've done 84 this will be 85 so yes. we're gonna put this one on shelf for a second the other 84 we have a quiz let's see yeah, if you paid attention to the other thing before. Hopefully you have, and we appreciate that. Great That's review. right. Thank you very much. Yeah, in the meantime, until the next episode, listen to all prior 84 episodes. Uh, for everybody involved here on the Curtain Call podcast, we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.